Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ebers, and today we're just going to jump right into things. I've got Hunter and Trevor Brunk on the phone from Brunk Outdoors, and uh, what's up, guys? Not much, just living the dream. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's getting tough out there right now because, well, you know, it's getting colder. The deer movement's kind of slowing down, but... uh, I'm still hanging in there, you know, I got a tag itching in the pocket, and I just, I got to fill it, you know. Yeah, I can't blame you there. So, you know, I've been watching you guys the last couple seasons, and it seems like you guys are consistently killing bucks, and particularly this year, it seems been one of your better seasons um, as a group, so I had to have you guys come on and, and uh, talk about your hunts this year and the strategies behind them. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah, I think we've been pretty lucky this year. Um, I guess we're four for four on buck tags so far. I don't expect to keep that record going into the gun seasons here, but it's been a pretty fun year. And now you definitely just have to grind it out. Um, Trevor has some experience with that recently, where he hunted all season and just got one the very last hunt before gun season starts up so yeah no that's uh that's why i had to have you on i'm, I'm excited to hear these stories but uh before we get into those um you guys are where are you guys based out of the brunk outdoors you guys based out of southern iowa northern missouri type thing um uh, we're tell us a little bit about brunk outdoors yeah so we're from eastern iowa um both of us were born and raised in eastern Iowa. Grew up hunting a, a small property in, in southern Iowa. And that's really kind of where our hunting kicked off. Um, grew up hunting small game, mostly pheasants. And then just kind of moved up the ladder from there, hunting turkey and deer. And then, uh, long story short, we ended up actually picking up a piece in northern Missouri and we had that property for about seven years. And that's that's really where our, you know, habitat improvement and land management, that, that spark really started. Uh, we were able to start putting in food plots and really try to manage deer. Um, and then I think after seven years, we sold that property. We relocated back into Iowa. And from there, you know, we've been hunting public and private land you know, when people ask us where we hunt, it's kind of a, we've hunted public land pretty much all across the state. Um, it just has depended on, you know, where we were hunting at that time. And, you know, Iowa, they say is the land of the giants. And we've, we've been able to run into some good bucks all over the state. So we just kind of keep yeah, it uh, incognito. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. we like to, What's that? just hunt where we can find the biggest bucks, whether it's public or private. Um, it's a lot of scouting and running trail cameras, but we don't really have a preference. We just like to chase the biggest deer. And then, yeah, like Trevor was saying, we hunt in Iowa quite a bit right now. That's where we're from. Then we've been able to take uh, quite a few out-of-state trip hunts. And I'm in college. Um, Trevor's graduated now. He's got a full-time job, so we're pretty busy, but whenever we can take vacations, we like to 
do an elk hunt every September and then did a bear hunt. So we like to hunt anything. I'd rock outdoors, but I'd say deer is definitely our specialty. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, how, when did this get started? You know, um, you guys are brothers, so, you know, ha has this been going on for a while? Like, what sparked all this, the Bronc Outdoors? Yeah, so it started with just some bow tuning videos back in 2015, I think. Um, that's kind of when everything got a little bit more serious, and... Yeah, I was on a couple of internet forums and I was just seeing people tuning the bows and figured out how to do it myself and wanted to help others. I was, I would have only been like 16 at the time, but I just started making like bow tuning videos and reviews. And it was pretty slow for the first couple years. We didn't, we probably put out a video once a month, maybe. And then from there, um, I was filming. We were both filming hunts during that time, but we had mainly only just put them out and we, when we killed them. Uh, started doing more of a blog series and we've kept on that more ever since where we just show the whole journey, whether we kill it or not. Um, recently, everyone's been so busy that we don't get every hunt to go on the channel, but we do our best. Yeah, and you yeah. guys have had some great hunts. Um, you guys mentioned that you, you know, you kind of hunt a variety of things. You guys hunt a little bit of private, um, some public, and I think even this year you guys got a lease. Um, you know, what are you, how are you guys approaching the season with that? You know, um, hunting all this different, I guess, settings, you know, um, different kind of pressures as well. Um, you guys don't focus on any particular piece, it seems like, but, uh, you know, you're always on them, no matter whether you're on the public or you're on the private or your lease, whatever the case may be. So I'm just curious what your approach is. So I think uh, the approach this year and last year has kind of been, I mean, last year, I think we really targeted the farm more uh, just because we had shooters on the property. And this year, uh, we had one for sure shooter that, you know, we deemed that we wanted to target as, you know, one of our resident bucks. And then after our dad was able to harvest that deer, it's kind of been, okay, we got to find more bucks. Uh, you know, some of our scouting before season, uh, you know, led us to our, our lease. And we have a permission piece as well. There's some good bucks there that, you know, we really started to target it. Um, and fill tags there instead of, you know, keep pressuring our farm in hopes that there's another buck that shows up. So I think we're really just maximizing where we know there's big deer, you know, out of season scouting, um, on public land, we've got, we've, we've done some trail camera surveys to really just understand where the deer are, where they're moving and then go back from year to year. You know, maybe we're not hunting a specific buck per se on, on public lands. We've got those those yearly trail camera photos that we can go back and say, hey, November 15th was hot this day. You need to be at this public land piece if you still have a tag. Definitely. That, that uh, previous year's intel, it's always helpful. And um, 
a lot changes on public land, but sometimes, you know, you can always go back to that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Hunter can jump in here too, but, you know, with Iowa, the pressure in Iowa is not near as as what it is in, uh, you know, Missouri or Wisconsin, but there is pressure that we've noticed on public land, and it, it usually starts the end of October, like around Halloween, and then it'll run to like the tenth. Everybody taking their rotation. A bunch of guys in there hunting. They're gonna be hunting hard, and then once once that the tenth shows up, the eleventh, those time frames, usually people are getting out. There's not as much pressure, and that's when we really start to to dive back in on the public. I hunted a couple times late October and had some decent action. But then once the pressure came in, I I didn't know exactly where people were. I didn't have a specific buck that I was, you know, trying to find or a couple different bucks. And so I decided just to kind of stay on the private ground, let, let the public play out, and then dive back in later in the season. Wow, that's a good strategy. And I'm sure you've seen that over the years, you know, okay, the rutcation guys are coming in. They're going to put a lot of pressure on the deer movement, you know. It being the rut, still kind of have probably going to have some movement, but, you know, not in these spots that you guys have been, been having success. Uh, so that's pretty pretty good good stuff. Yeah, I wanted to add in a little bit. Um, it was a pretty good observation uh, that we bounced around a lot and hunted out different places. I wanted to add in that. I think that's actually hurt me in the past. In 2018, we made a pretty big move, and that's when we started hunting southern Iowa a lot more. And that season, we got we got on a lot of big deer, but that season in particular, it was like every single hunt. I was picking a spot on the map, usually public, and I was going in trying to kill a buck just based on solely on the map, first time in. And I wasn't really taking each spot and really picking it apart. And I think overall that's probably helped us because it allowed me to get to more places that year and helped us for the future. But I think that year I struggled a little bit because, I mean, obviously you're not going to dial in your very first setup and, and kill a mature buck every time on the first time and sit. So I think I took that a little bit to the extreme that year, but now like Trevor was saying, we're just kind of determining where we can find these target bucks and then, and then picking them apart from there. And then one thing I want to add with the, the pressure that we see here in Iowa is there's that early November pressure, and then we also um, have an early December gun season. That's our main firearm season here in Iowa. And the main tactic that people use is deer driving. So... That's when uh, stuff really hits the fan here in Iowa, and it's a it's a really low pressure state, like what Trevor was saying. But as soon as those shotgun seasons hit, uh, all the public for sure, and a lot of the private, uh, it gets big groups that go through and push everything. So whenever that finishes up, it can be pretty tough late season. Um, I imagine as tough as anywhere, although there's definitely still probably better hunting to be had. Um, but that's definitely time true that we've struggled with in the past. Yeah, I mean, those those deer drives are a good strategy, and they're fun if you got a group of guys, but 
they can really wreak havoc on the pressure and, and really drive some deer out of there, literally. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not something that we've ever done. Um, we don't have any problem with it. Um, I think people have a lot of fun on them, and uh, we don't really have a problem with it, but it's just not something that we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes some strategy, no doubt about that. Um, you know... Hunter, you uh, you kind of kicked off the season, you know, with I believe your early muzzleloader, and uh, then you followed it up with a bow kill. You know, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the what was going on then, and and how you got on these bucks, and you know, kind of tell us the story of yeah. how it all came together. Yeah, definitely. So those two bucks actually came off a lease as a new piece we picked up this year. And um, basically, just stumbled into it through a connection, and I was really pumped up about it. But we weren't really sure how good this property was going to be. We weren't even sure whether we wanted to go through and lease it and spend the money. It's basically a cattle pasture lease, and it's on both sides of the road. And then on the one side, there's a lot of timber that surrounds it, but there's actually not a whole lot of of bedding that's going to be on it so we weren't really sure whether we wanted to to go forward with the lease but we ended up saying all right well let's try it for you and see what happens so anyways we went through with it and um september rolled around we got the lease in late summer september rolled around we hung a couple of permanent stands and some spots that jumped out to us on the map uh, more rut funnel type stuff and then we were able to run corn in one spot, just to try to get a survey, see what kind of bucks are there. But then there are also a lot of cows on most of it still, so we couldn't really do much of the inventory survey. So then September passed, October rolls around, the start of season here in Iowa, October 1st. And I think that first weekend I went out and I hung trail cameras because the way the lease worked was we could get the farmer to move the cows to one side of the road, we had to choose, and we chose them to move them to the other side of the road from where most of the good cover was that surrounded the lease. Basically, the strategy going into it was we were hoping with all the big timber around this cattle pasture that a lot of the deer and a lot of the bucks would be coming out and feeding in the pasture, which is pretty good pasture. It's got a lot of clover in it, and... I noticed when I went and put out those trail cameras that it had basically turned into a big food plot. I mean, as much as a cattle pasture can be, it just had a lot of clover in it. I could tell there were deer using it. So I put those cameras out and uh, didn't go in there for two weeks, I think it was. And then on my way down uh, for early muzzleloader season, I decided to take a week off. Um, from school and I uh, decided to do the early muzzleloader season for the reasons I was talking about with the shopping seasons here in Iowa. We didn't have too many resident bucks that we wanted to hunt on the farm, uh, especially with a gun. So I figured my strategy was going to be on a lease and on public. So I figured the best opportunity to capitalize on that was during early muzzleloader season. On the way down, I checked the cameras and uh, fortunately, there were some good bucks that started showing up on the lease. There was one really big eight-pointer. I got a couple of pictures of the one that ended up 
harvesting, and then um, a couple other solid bucks, but just two shooters in our first card pull. Luckily, that week fell awesome this year. It was the week of the October 17th, and there was like, it, the whole thing was just a massive cold front, it seemed like. So uh, that Saturday, I went to public and got on probably one of the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it was kind of a heartbreak. I bumped it out of its bed and uh, didn't even have my gun in my hand. So that's kind of a long story, but that hurts. ended up doing that and screwing that place up, but got some good intel. I think that story might come around later. But ended up going to lease the next day and just was hunting them on a feeding pattern. Like I said, a lot of clover in the pasture. It was a good October cold front. And it was like 15 minutes into the hunt, and one of the one of the mature bucks that we had on camera came out, and he was a little bit on the uh, I don't want to say smaller side, but there was a bigger one in there. It was the only thing I was a little hesitant about. And he comes out of the pasture, and actually some does got downwind of me, so I kind of had to make a decision. I thought it was kind of going to be now or never. It turns out it wasn't. I ended up shooting that deer, and I made a good shot. Um, I was really confident in the shot. It, it, it was a pretty far shot from my brother, actually, about 180 yards, I think, or something like that. And uh, I was I was really jacked up. But as soon as I as soon as I got the excitement to wear off, and I had just gotten off the phone with uh, Trevor and Dodd, I looked up. Actually, I heard uh, the even bigger buck and there was raking a tree, and he ended up, of course, coming out in the pasture, and I could have shot him, too. He was a really big eight-pointer. That was a really exciting night. I mean, this is on the lease that we weren't even sure whether we were going to really hunt. We weren't sure whether we wanted to go through with it. And I had, I mean, you know, arguably one of the best nights that I've had in October. I see a mature box, and I ended up tagging one. So that was the 18th of October, and then... Yeah, you got to um, love those those uh, October cold fronts. And, you know, uh, my wife actually killed a her biggest buck uh, to date um, in a very similar place. You know, she was hunting over a cow pasture um, with a lot of good green stuff in there and uh, surrounded by big timber. Mm -hmm. And so those mature bucks seem to like that. Um, maybe, you know, when the cows are in right there, you know, not so much, but when they're on a different part of the property, usually you have some pretty good action. Now, yeah, it's, that's really interesting. That's something I want to talk a little bit more about. Yeah, I'd love um, to hear it. As far as what you guys have seen, just because we're a little bit new to it. And like I said, we weren't completely sure uh, whether even, we even wanted to go through with it. But I think those cattle pastures are alive. I feel like a lot of people could get access or do have access to hunt cattle pastures. I feel like it might be a little bit of an overlooked spot that more people could hunt. Absolutely. It's, and I think especially if it does sit between a couple blocks of timber. Um, this particular spot that I'm talking about, you can kill a nice mature buck there every year um, if you hunt it the right way, you know. Leave it alone until the right times of the year, and 
yeah, it, it seems to, to produce every year. So I think you're right. I think that those kind of spots are definitely overlooked, but uh, they're definitely worth checking out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've obviously been pretty happy that we were able to go through with it. What have you been seeing? Uh, I'm not sure. How far south in Missouri are you? Um, we're in between Columbia and St. Louis. I don't know if that helps you or not. Um, yeah. So about north central, but more, more central than on, uh, on those cow pastures. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We we definitely do. And in, in fact, uh, this year in particular, we had a a really really nice buck um, come out on opening day, right there uh, in that cow pasture that I'm talking about. But unfortunately, um, I got married. Um, the weekend of opening day, so I was pretty tied up with the wedding. So I just got to see him on pictures. Congratulations! <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Uh, appreciate that. But yeah, no, uh, I, I I found that it can be very successful, um, I, especially if the cows are in there sometime during the year, uh, because for whatever reason, it just stays green in those cow pastures. And I'm, you know, I'm no ag person, so I don't really know much about that. But I actually killed my buck in an old cow pasture in early October. Um, it had not been used um, yet this year, but they're, they're actually putting cows in it right now. It was a little bit overgrown cow pasture, but yeah, I had success. Same, same thing, same situation. Big timber surrounds it. Cow pasture in the middle of it, so seems to be a good spot. I think you guys did yeah, right on that lease. What say? I said uh, I think you guys made a good decision on that lease. <laughs> yeah, we got we got pretty lucky. We we assumed it was going to be good, but we just didn't realize, you know, quite how good it would be. I had hunted around cattle a little bit in the past with my buddies. And that was a place that the cattle actually didn't get rotated at all. It didn't seem like, and the deer just lived right with them. So they can become tolerant of cattle as well. So don't think that uh, you have to have a place where the cattle are switched out if you want to hunt a cattle pasture. But I do definitely think it probably makes it better if the cattle aren't, aren't in there. But okay. Yeah, I think with all that clover in there, it should be pretty good late season. We're going to keep that in mind for our late season strategy. But anyway, after that, uh, uh, yeah, so back. Oh yeah. Um, what I found interesting about you, sorry to interrupt, uh, is that you tend, you tend to hunt from the ground, uh, I've noticed. And so, you know, I think that's what you're about to touch on is, is, uh, this bow hunt. So kind of tell us about that. Yeah, I can talk about hunting on the ground a little bit start out I've always hunted on the ground more so out of a necessity when I started bow hunting hunted on the ground I think you can get away with it a lot easier uh, it's kind of how we grew up you can pick your spot and go in there really easily and as long as you're sitting tight to the base of the tree usually you can get away with it with a gun but when I started bow hunting I was only I was probably between I was probably like 11 12 years old and I had a bad fear of heights. I could not get into a tree stand. And I don't know why. 
I've kind of, I've grown out of it, although I'm still a little scared of heights. <laughs> but that's why I started hunting on the ground. It was just, I couldn't hunt in a tree stand. I was too, too afraid. So anyway, when I started hunting, my dad would just make a bunch of natural ground blinds and I'd just sit in there and I just started getting better and better at it. And then as I transitioned to hunting more public land, I could kind of figure out what I could get away with as far as what you need in a ground setup. And eventually it's just become less and less. I mean, I don't even mess with usually trying to worry too much about what any cover in front of me is more so if you just have a good back backdrop or as you can set up in front of a tree that's really big and breaks out your that, or anything that has cover that goes both vertical and horizontal i mean you can sit i've done this many times you can sit just right on top of a fallen log that maybe has a rip ball on it or something or even just in the top but there's trunks going every direction mm -hmm. i mean you can sit there and seem completely exposed but to a deer you just look like the tree and if you don't move they're not going to see you so you probably be surprised what you can get away with on the ground. And the biggest thing is just doing it a lot and figuring out what you what you can get away with. And then obviously the definitely the biggest thing is just you can't move. Um the night that I killed my bow buck this year, I was had to sit so still because I had such little cover that I don't think I could walk right for a week. I sat on one side of my body. And it just screwed up my back so bad. I mean, I didn't move for three hours. Jeez. But, yeah, that's kind of why I started hunting on the ground. And it's definitely working. I was actually thinking about that. So replying to some of the comments on that video, I think I figured out that something like all, it's like four out of the, my six biggest bucks have all been on the ground, or five out of the last six, something like that. So the videos I've seen. Just in a way that I can hunt more mobile. Exciting and get close to, close to the bucks where they want to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, the videos I've seen, they've been super exciting uh, of you on the ground and, and getting after these deer and getting close to them. It's, it's been really fun to watch. And uh, this year in particular, you know, um, that, that, or that buck that you shot from the ground. Um, kind of tell us about but what happened there and how you were set up and, you know, Anything before that, maybe, that led to that night, that night of getting into that deer? Yeah, actually, uh, Trevor, you want to jump in? And we actually figured out that he had seen this buck that I killed. He actually seen him go back in the timber to bed. So he has done a couple of hunts. Maybe you can tell you about that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we can we can tell you about the little preseason scouting I I pinned up that deer for Hunter, and he went in there the next night and stuck him. <laughs> oh, yeah? You tied it to the tree for him? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, um, we uh, I was hunting with Heidi on the, the pre-hung stand on that property, just kind of seeing what was going on. And, you know, since I was hunting with her, I was carrying a stand in there and just made setting up, you know, two people in a tree uh, a lot easier to have that pre-hung stand. So definitely went in there and uh the the one night we ended up seeing a a great big 10 pointer i call him gimpy just because he was uh limping around 
And after seeing that buck, I, I told Heidi and I told Hunter, I said, there's got to be a bigger one in there because a buck of that, I mean, he was a 160s caliber buck and he was a tank and he was limping around, but he was still the dominant buck on the field. But I knew there was a big buck there. That buck ended up working away from us uh, over 200 yards away and got a general direction of where he went for the night. And I considered hanging a stand to try to cut him off in the morning, but I kind of I kind of figured, I don't know if it was, I, I was lazy, but I kind of figured that the wind was going to be swirly. He was going to get me before I could get to him. So I opted to just go back to that spot again. Um, and then that next morning, uh, a big buck, I assumed it was the same buck, worked back and did the same thing and went back in to uh, the big timber to bed for the day. But turns out after watching the footage, it was actually the buck hunter killed. There's, there was two separate bucks. One of them went out that night, and a different one came back. Wow. So, and what were, you, what were you guys set up over? That was in uh, like a, a more of a rough funnel next to a creek. A big, a big ridge uh, was kind of pinching the creek up to a, a spot. But from that spot, you could see the big main uh, cattle pasture. So it was kind of, you know, overlooking the big main food source, but as, as well as hoping that there was going to be a deer that was moving through the pinch for bow range. Okay. And so, uh, so what happened next? So then Trevor had to go back to work and I came in and stole his thunder. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, That's what brothers are for, yeah, right? I, oh yeah. We were both super pumped. We actually got that comment <laughs> on that video. Recently, someone was like, man, my hunting partner would kill me <laughs> if he saw a big buck go in and I went and, and I was the one that got him. And I was like, no, that's not how it is. We're both super happy for each other and we both do a lot of scouting and try to help each other out ever since I've got my tag field. That's kind of what my focus has been. Is I feel like I'm just, I think I'm hitting the woods almost as much. I'm just doing scouting for Dad and Trevor, so... Anyway, yeah, I was able to move in there. It was a Sunday afternoon, and another um, big cold front. Just uh, basically the same conditions as what I killed on it. Actually, one week to the day after my muzzleloader buck. Same conditions, just even more extreme cold front. So I knew it was going to be good, and I knew it'd be worth uh, staying down to hunt one more afternoon. So went in there and. Trevor started on the way out, looked for a tree to hang in along the edge where these deer have been coming out. And he said there's a, there's a tree that you could get a stand in up there. And I was on the tree line where they come out. Um, I had another tree in mind because the creek that the permanent stand is set up on kind of um, rolls around and goes up a little bit closer. There's a spot that's like a flat out in the pasture, and it pinches down to about 100 yards. So it's still, they can definitely be out of bow range down there. But a lot of the times, like a couple of times that I'd sat there, I noticed that a lot of deer end up in that corner. And the thing I liked about that was it was going to be a little bit more bulletproof for the entire night. And this is still pretty early in the season, mind you. So if I, if I went clear up to that edge where they came out, I knew that, other deer were probably going to come out before the big one would. And as soon as we got up 
out in the pasture and started feeding and moving around out there, they were going to win me. So I either had to, basically, if the wind was blowing into the timber up there, they weren't going to come out and uh, the hunt was going to be ruined before they got started. If, they, if it's blowing out into the pasture where they come out and the, the deer didn't come out right away, you're probably not going to get it with that either. So I decided to go with a little bit more conservative route and go where that creek bends around. And I wasn't sure if there was going to be a tree to hang a mobile stand in or not, but I brought it. And I ended up getting in there. I thought it was pretty early. It was probably three and a half hours before it got dark. But I knew they were going to move early. And I started to get worried. I was I was starting to get stressed out. I don't like taking time. Time to stand. It just stresses me out. Once I'm there, I just feel like stuff could happen at any moment. And the tree was... The tree that I had in mind just was not going to work without some trimming. So I ended up just setting my tree stand on the bank of the creek. And I thought about just standing in the creek in that ditch. Because that's a setup that would definitely work. Um, I could just stand on that ledge and basically pop up and, and shoot. Um, I ended up not doing that because I could get like five yards closer if I just got behind these clump of trees. So... There were three big, or pretty big trunks that came together, and I knew it was going to be pretty good cover, but it'd be really good cover anywhere else but the middle of a cattle pasture. So, like, I'm basically standing in grass, like, your front lawn, and the only cover I have is the trees I'm sitting against. So, definitely not ideal, but obviously not the worst. And I thought I could make it work. So at that time, I think I had just started putting my leafy suit on. That is one thing I like to do is wear some sort of a leafy suit. Because I'm not super brand camo specific or anything like that. And I've done it in just regular camo. But I do think a leafy suit definitely helps break up your outline. And a ghillie suit's probably even better. But they're really bulky. They're really big. They catch all the birds. Yeah, I was going to ask, have you tried one of those? Uh, ASAP leafy suit and it's like a mesh uh, outline with uh, basically just ASAP leafy wear on top and it's like super light packs down in your backpack I always run around it I always run around with it in my backpack whether I think I'm going to set up on the ground or not just because it packs down to literally nothing and I just but just gotten that on and deer started coming out so I was pretty happy that just in the nick of time down out that night yeah, it sounds like you made the right decision. Um, what what did you say the brand of that leafy suit was? Uh, it's ASAP Camo. ASAP Camo. Um, okay. Yeah, it's ASAP. I think it's called the Vanish Pro leafy suit. I think you have to buy it as a set. The thing that I like is just the jacket and then the headset. I hardly ever wear the pants just because that's one other thing. If you're setting up on the ground, you want to be as low to the ground as possible. Like, any sort of chair you bring in usually doesn't even work. you got to be basically sitting either on your knees or on your butt. Because, you, I mean, just to blend in better, it just seems to work a lot better. So, I always just wear the jacket and then the head net. And the biggest thing it does is with those two pieces together, it just breaks up the outline of your head and neck. And it covers your face. So, yeah, I really like that setup. Right on. Seems to work for you. Yeah, so when I arrived, that was 
definitely probably the craziest hunt I've ever had. Uh, looking back, it kind of seems like I just was on a roller coaster ride, taking it all in. Like I said, I couldn't really move at all. So it was like I was just watching the world go on and not, like, I remember thinking afterwards, I was like, why didn't I try to call up these deer um, and try to bring them into bow range? But then I realized that the reason I didn't was I just couldn't move. I mean, I had to be super still. So anyway, I got set up. Some little bucks started coming out. Uh, one decent one. He got to like 40 yards. And he was like a borderline shooter, but he was a young deer. So I decided to pass him. And then it was like an hour Okay, an hour and a half before last light, I heard this massive buck fight break out in the woods. And it was, it was definitely the loudest fight I've ever heard. I knew it was probably some pretty mature deer. And was listening to him, had the camera rolling, got some pretty good cool audio. Finally, I was able to find them. They got close enough to the edge, and I could see it was this huge buck. It was actually the huge buck that I killed was fighting that big eight-pointer that came out after my mugwater buck. Oh, wow. So the big buck, yeah, it was pretty surreal. So, And I, I, mean, I didn't even know this big one existed. So he gets done opening a can of, you know what, on <laughs> on this big eight-pointer, basically just beats his butt and runs him off. They had, like, a second round of a fight that didn't last very long. And uh, finally, they actually saw the the real big one that ended up killing, he was working back further into the woods. So I was like, man, that was cool. But kind of was just watching some does out in the pasture, didn't really think anything was going to happen after I saw him work off. And uh, ended up having a doe come from behind me, and she was coming from directly downwind, and she got like 35 yards away, and she was just, looking for something to scoop at. And she actually hadn't caught my wind at that point yet, but she was just like one of those does that yeah. was just a problem. And I remember I was just praying to God that that deer wouldn't spook because I knew that that would ruin any chance of a big buck coming out with the amount of time that it was left. So she actually, from that spot, it was like right when I got done praying, she like calmed down and she crossed the creek and literally went right downwind of me and never spooked, and I'm telling you right now, I was not sent free that hunt. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do think it was by the grace of God that I got this buck and didn't spook that deer, and I remember just thinking, I'm just tired of spooking deer, and and uh, ended up working out. So actually, right when I was able to turn around from seeing her, I looked out, and the big one was out in the pasture. I don't know where he came from, but he had been behind one of the big trunks that I was sitting sitting behind and he was like 80 yards away but from there that's obviously too far to shoot with a bow so I was just watching him I got a little bit of, I got some footage of him and then he got a little bit further out and started working some scrapes along the tree line and he ended up going through a fence gap and there were some does that were actually not that far from the permanent stand only like 50-60 yards I'm like, okay, he's going to go check those does. And this is like the 25th of October now, mind you. So they're starting to get pretty interested in does, and it was just a huge cold front. So I knew he was heading for him. I actually thought about trying to get in the creek and going down there and getting in bow range. But 
stalking him, so I thought there was a pretty good chance. I hadn't moved around the tree and looked up. I mean, it must have been, I saw him down by those does, and it must have been less than 10, 15 seconds later, I got around the tree on that side of the trunk, and he was coming right at me at like 40 yards. So that time, I'm trying to range everything, and this is when I stopped filming, because the camera was now behind me and on the ground. I couldn't afford to move to set it back up. But basically, I was trying to range some stuff, and by the time I got done doing that, he had come out from behind these other trees at like less than 20 yards. And he didn't see me, but uh, he was basically walking right at me for a few steps, and then he stopped, and he could see kind of a blob basically you mm. could see me sitting by these trees so i just stayed still i had my bow up and i was ready to draw i just hadn't drawn yet my mistake was trying to arrange stuff instead of just drawing and he was walking right at me and anyway we had to stay down for over a minute i know that and uh i just got really lucky there too i think the thing that saved me was uh the leafy suit i was staying as still as possible and then he also stopped in a massive scrape. I mean, just super lucky. Um, he stopped in the scrape, and all he had to do was basically pick his head up, and he started working at a licking branch. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm actually going to get a shot at this thing. Because even as he was standing there, I didn't think there was any way. And anyway, he starts working the licking branch, and I start, I'm like, all right, I'm going to shoot this thing. I start drawing my bow as far as I can. By the time I get... A full draw, he got done working the scrape and was going to cross the creek and was able to stop him. And, uh, of course, then made a perfect shot. It was only like 12 yards. So even I can't mess that up. <laughs> and uh, I didn't see him go down. It was uh, pretty dark, and he fell over behind some trees from my line of sight. So that's why I lost track of him. There's enough wind gusts that I just wasn't sure. But ended up calling Dad and... Um, found my arrow, it looked good, I got passed through. Uh, couldn't find any blood in that pasture just because I'm sure you know how hard it is to track in that short grass, especially right at impact. And then it was dark when I was trying to track, so I had no trail to follow or anything. So finally I decided to go to where I last heard him, and luckily he was laying right there. Oh, wow. That was my biggest luck ever. That's... That's an awesome story. It sounds super intense um, to be that close to a, a buck of that caliber on the ground, having them look right at you, looking right through you, you know, and uh, to get yeah, the job was. done. You know, that that's an awesome story, man. Yeah, thanks. It was definitely something I've never experienced before. It was pretty intense. Somehow I kept it together, actually, I was more excited at the shot of my muzzleloader deer than I was at this big one on the ground with my bow. And I really don't know why, other than um, I think it was just because I didn't think I was going to get a shot. Huh. And I don't, like I said, just the whole hunt, looking back, just seems like I was on this roller coaster ride. It doesn't even seem, seem real. But happy it all came together. Yeah, I, I would be too. So, Hunter, you know, you said that that doe had come by you straight downwind, maybe not your most scent-free night in the woods. Do you think being hugged up against that creek and being as late as it was, that the thermals were 
possibly dropping down into into the creek? Yeah, I think that could be it. Um, I don't know how close you were to it, um, but I was right on the I was basically right on the bank, so that's yeah. I mean, that's it's pretty cool that you picked up on that. Um, I do like sit, setting up on creeks, and a lot of times I think about that as far as my setup, but I'm going to be honest, that night I really didn't. I mean, I wasn't really playing the thermals. Um, it was basically on a flat down there, so there really shouldn't have been too much of a thermal pull, but like you said, along those creeks, it definitely does follow it. So that definitely could have been it, but I also think part of it was just luck. Yeah, I definitely sometimes that's all you need. Even because... I mean, we don't have to get into too much later, but I actually set up in kind of that same pasture, not in that same spot, but I didn't take the thermals into consideration, and I was just slightly up higher away from the creek, and I had deer come between me and me and the creek, and it actually costed me a buck, so the, the doe's blue. So I definitely think you were on to that, Stephen. That was a great point. Well, yeah, it would be something you'll have to check. I don't know if you guys throw down, like, milkweed or anything like that and see if it's doing something mm -hmm. right there but uh trevor um seems that you've had you know non-stop action this fall either couldn't seal the deal or you just passed on the opportunity looking for something a little bit better or more mature um can you kind of tell us you know how you were planning your setups and uh you know then then how you finally got the job done yeah so i think it, it it's got to go back to the to the start of the season you know hunter came into the season and he was extremely stressed um you know i remember talking to him he's like i don't know why i'm not finding any sign he's freaking out and i was like no man we've got plenty like we've got plenty of time <laughs> i'm like i've been saving up my vacation for work I'm like, I got so much time to spend in the deer woods. I'm excited. I'm pumped. Every weekend that kept going by in October, I'm like, ah, oh, it's all right. You know, I was just, I was being too lackadaisical about it. I was still hunting and I was still hunting hard, but I was kind of had the mindset that I was okay with not tagging out yet because I wanted to see what November would, would bring for me. And at that time, you know, I didn't really, I, I believe that it's good to set goals for, for everything in life. And, you know, in, in the past, I mean, last year I, I shot my biggest year ever. Um, and so going into this season, I didn't really have any goals. And I told myself, you know, maybe I should try to target something, you know, that size or a little bit bigger, you know, break the, the 160 mark. But it really wasn't ever about score in my mind. It was, I had, I had a buck in mind that I didn't relatively have any idea he existed, but I had something in mind that I, I wanted. And I, what I figured out over the, the season is I was looking for looking for something with, with mass. I was looking for, you know, a deer who had the mass of a 160 buck. He was a shooter in my mind. So after I had decided that that was kind of my goal, uh, that's when the season really started to, to uh, come to a grind. Um, I ended up taking the beginning of November off. Um, and here in Iowa and all over the Midwest, it was extremely hot. Um, I mean, like highs in the mid-70s, 
lows in the in the fifties. It was just it wasn't ideal. Now, you know, I didn't I I I wanted to stay out and I wanted to keep hunting, but I just wasn't seeing the deer movement that I should be seeing. And, you know, a, a big reason on why it you know, I left and why I didn't stick it out was, you know, we run the, the Cuddy Back, Cuddy Link camera cell system on our farm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of use it as like a benchmark of deer movement. Um, usually, even if we're hunting on, on public land, um, if we get a good Cuddy Back uh, pull on the cameras uh, through the email, usually we're going to have good movement everywhere. And so during that early November time frame, you know, I was setting up in those rough funnels. I was setting up trying to find uh, a, a good pinch where I would see a lot of deer. And, you know, I just wasn't seeing much action. And all of the, the photos that we were getting from our property was all at night. So, you know, I kind of determined I've got a, limit, a limited amount of vacation I need to, you know, try to maximize that. So I opted to cancel vacation, uh, go back home. I had to get some stuff done between work and, and the house and uh, ended up timing it just right to where the November 10th, we had a major cold front move back in. It was, I think the November 9th was like 70 degrees and then November 11th was like highs in the forties or something. So like a 30 degree temperature drop, I knew it was going to be good. And I wanted to get down there on the 10th, but I ended up getting held up back here for a day. And uh, right after that cold front moved in, we have a, a cell camera on public in one of the bucks that, you know, we didn't really think we'd have a shot at. I call him the mass buck. He's like a 160s, 170 buck with a great, a great amount of mass on him. Um, he was hitting a scrape during at three o'clock in the afternoon, right after that cold front hit. So I, I didn't actually go in there and target him. I actually, you know, that was kind of that time frame in my mind where uh, we just had, got done with a lot of pressure on public. That same show camera on public, we were getting photos of people walking through uh, hunting areas at, at prime time right after last that right after first light um and so i'm like uh, i'm not going to go in there and target it because i feel like a lot of people have the same thought right now of we got a good cold front we're going to be out there hunting again and so i decided that i knew that there was big bucks um on some of our our uh, private properties um between the lease and permission ground and so i decided to just kind of Narrow my focus on there. There was about two or three bucks uh, that I was kind of targeting. And so I first started sitting that, st- that same permanent stand to see if I could, you know, not, not necessarily get a gauge on, you know, if a buck was moving in a pattern. Because usually at that time frame, they're not. I was mainly looking to see where were the does moving and could I take a mobile stand and keep cutting off those does in hopes that I'd catch one of those big mature bucks, you know, trying to cross their scent or follow one of those does out one of the evenings or one of the mornings. So I kept doing that. Um, 
saw a lot of good solid bucks bucks that you know last year and the year before that i would have i've been thrilled to shoot and i kept telling myself what are you doing man like <laughs> you you'd be happy with that deer you know and i was like no you've got plenty of time let's see what, let's see what happens um set your goals for set your goals higher than you've ever set them before and work for it and see what happens and i i come to november 14th i checked a, a trail camera on that same property that I was kind of just bouncing around is the first year that I got a mobile stand. Uh, you know, I, we've always hunted. If we're going to be mobile, we've always hunted off the ground. Like Hunter was talking about, but I really like the idea of being able to get up into a stand mainly to make sure we could try to get better footage, try to get kill shots on, on video. And I thought I might have more success out of a tree. Um, so I thought, you know, maybe if I would get up out of the deer's eyesight, uh, I could see more. I would be able to maximize uh, my time in the stand and, and hopefully be able to get a shot at a, a mature buck. And so I was I was bumped, or just jumping around on the property trying to figure out the deer. And then finally I, I was able to go in on uh, and check a, a trail camera. I've been hunting relatively close to, but... Um, I hadn't really had many encounters with uh, any of the big bucks. I mean, some solid 140s, uh, questionable 150, um, but none of the, the high 50s, 160s bucks that I, I wanted. And I finally checked that trail camera, and there was a buck on there that I didn't really know about, but Hunter actually saw a couple weeks prior when he still had his tag. Um, and it was a it was like a 160 buck with a split g2 and i've got this weird fascination with a, a split g2 buck ever since my grandpa showed me a shed that his dog brought up one time it's this great big shed uh shed antler and it had a split g2 and so i saw that buck and i immediately like i've never looked at a buck and said that's the buck i want if i don't get it i don't get it and I saw a photo of that buck and I'm like, that's him. That's all I wanted. And I decided that I was going to throw all the eggs in the basket for that buck. So I ended up going back. I hunted that place a couple different times. Uh, but on November 16th, um, I went in and right after first light, uh, I was sitting kind of the same tree that I kept hunting in on the edge of the pasture and the timber. Uh, and in the bottom, there's a there's like a a feeder creek that runs to a main creek. It had a little bit of water in it that was running, so um, deer had water in there, and then they were feeding in the in the pasture. And uh, my thought was is a lot of bucks were going to be using the 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 pasture edge to travel. And with the winds I was getting, uh, I was seeing that seemed like on a, a specific wind, the deer were traveling the pasture, checking the, the timber for does, and they could travel that fast. So November 16th, I went in, and I actually had a buck that he's, I'm not sure how old he is. Uh, we need to kill him and get him aged. He's probably the biggest bodied buck I've ever seen. Yeah, we call him Spikezilla. He's uh, got like, almost two foot spikes on his head with some weird non-typical stuff. The deer's 
easily over 275 on the hoof. He's, he's a wow. huge buck. And I've never seen anything like this in my life. And, you know, he's behind the stand at 40 yards. And if I wanted to shoot him, I probably wouldn't have been able to. But I was, like, kind of nonchalant about it. Uh, I saw him. I'm like, he's really big. But in the back of my mind, it was like, you told yourself what you wanted. You need to you need to stick it out. And I couldn't grunt to him anyway. It was too open. So I just watched and see what he, he would do. He ended up going down. Um, he's probably at like 80 to 100 yards at that point. Down into that ravine or in that creek. And I, and I lost sight of him. Next thing I know, I hear something. It sounds like another deer down there. And I'm like, I swear there's two deer down there. Next thing you know, the split G2 buck comes up out of the, the creek and he's walking up further into the timber and following him is the, the spike Zilla buck that, that we call. And immediately I'm like, holy smokes, there he is. He's paralleling me quite a bit. Uh, he's got his tail tucked between his legs. He's, he's all of mid sixties. Um, and he's pretty much running away from this just giant spike. And, you know, it makes sense because if he was going to get in a fight with this spike, he probably had a spike go through his skull. And it was insane. But uh, wow. he ended up trying to keep... I, at one point, I thought this buck was going to... The spike's little buck was going to push this other deer to me. Uh, but the G2 buck actually was circling trees to try to keep stuff between him and the other buck it was it was so insane i could not believe it so i ended up sticking around hunting all day and i had another encounter with that spike zilla buck but uh nowhere near to to be able to get a shot but i knew that that buck was still in the area um you know it's november 16th bucks are supposed to be locked down with does so i was kind of questionable on if i'd see him on november 17th um, but I, I had one more day of vacation planned and I knew that, you know, if the morning hunt didn't go as planned, I was probably going to come home, regroup, and then a couple of days later, come back and do it all over again. So November 17th came and I ended up, um, getting, I was, how the property sets were able, uh, the property goes further beyond the pasture there just a little bit. And I was able to get down and cross the creek and uh, set up because my thought was is that buck was using the creek to to travel. And Hunter's experience with that same buck, he actually spooked that buck out of the creek a couple weeks prior. So I, my thought was is he was if he was going to do it again, he was going to do it again the next morning. And if he didn't have a doe, so I went back in there chopped in, hung a stand. Um, I sat up on top of my last stick and I was contemplating which way I wanted to face. The wind wasn't ideal for the spot, but I had decided that the thermals would probably pull the wind up and keep it above his head if he came in where I was expecting him to. And where I went wrong is I decided to set up uh, facing away from where I was. I thought he could come from any direction, but I, I thought he'd probably do the same thing as he did the, next, the, the day prior. And so I set up uh, facing away from that in hopes that he was going to come by um, 
and I was going to be standing most of the morning uh, on alert. And my thought was he'd be able to just kind of walk past me. I'd look just like the tree. I could hide behind the tree, and I'd be able to get a, a good quartering away shot at him. But what I didn't account for was the buck to literally be in the creek. It was a super slow morning, and about 9.45, I heard something in the water, and I looked back, and it was him. I didn't even see the split G2. I just saw the frame, and I'm like, that's him. And at that point, uh, he took a couple more steps, and uh, where he was at in the creek was actually exactly where I crossed crossed over the creek. And so looking back, I'm fairly certain he got my ground scent. And at that exact moment, he got, he got nervous. And uh, how it worked out, he looked up and he probably saw the silhouette of me um, because at that point I had been skylined pretty hard uh, just because it was hardwoods, hardwoods timber and, uh, you know, just an easy way to, to spot me. It mostly just my head. So he kind of knew something was up, uh, but he didn't know exactly exactly what. So I flipped the camera on, threw the camera around, got my bow in one hand, and I realized that I had my release on upside down. I was filming does oh, earlier in the hunt, and my release kept hitting the metal on my camera arm, and it was driving me bonkers, and I thought I was going to spook deer. So I realized that my release was flipped around and I was trying to use my coat. I was trying to use my wrist on my coat to just slowly twist it back into position while that buck was there. But he just kept, he probably, it was a still morning. He probably heard something that he didn't like. He hit my ground scent. Bucks like that don't get that size for being stupid. And he ended up working to about 30 yards. Uh, still in the creek and by that time he was behind brush and I couldn't get a shot off at him he ended up running uh, to about 40 yards where I had an opening uh, between two limbs on a a big oak a split in an oak and I and I shot felt good everything about it felt good uh, and the arrow stuck in him so I saw where it hit and he was quartering away pretty he was quartering away, not super hard, but enough where I had to put it back and I shot it. I shot for his offside shoulder and he, he took off like I've never seen a deer take off that fast and run that fast. And he dropped down into the creek and I could tell he followed the creek out. Um, I thought it was a good hit. What's that? Uh, I wanted to mention some people are probably thinking it's weird how much you're mentioning this deer being in the creek, but it's just going to start to make more sense as the story keeps playing out. It's a pretty peculiar um, pattern that this buck was doing. He was just like in the creek all the time. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, thought I had a good, uh, you know, I saw the arrow in the deer, um, and this year I was actually shooting different broadheads. I usually, I mean, we've shot six blade broadheads for years, but I had issues tuning my bow this year um, after I put new strings on it. So I, I opted to try some, uh, some mechanicals and I had some better luck with them later in the year. We'll get to that. So I know when people watch this video, they're going to, they're going to go to straight to the mechanicals, but 
I don't, I do not think it was the broadheads that, uh, that changed the outcome of this, but I saw the hit looked like it was good. It, it was probably going to be a, a liver hit entrance, but I, with the angle I knew and how far, I mean, I have a 30 inch draw on my bow. My arrows are extremely long and they weren't necessarily bare. The arrow wasn't necessarily buried to the fletchings, uh, but they were close. So I had plenty of penetration. It was a big two inch cut broadhead. It was not a rage, but it was a two big two inch cut broadhead. And uh, I knew that, you know, that deer is probably going to die. Like I put it, I, it hit right where I wanted to. The only thing that I didn't like is it was, it could have been just a touch lower. So ended up giving the deer an hour and started to uh, take the track up. Um, and I, I kid you not, this deer stayed in the creek for over a half a mile running in the creek. Yeah, I was, you know, following the blood for a ways in the creek and then I'd hit water and I'd have nothing. And so then I'd sit there and scratch my head, pull up the, pull up the binos and I'd look up further in the creek and I'd see blood splattered. And this deer just kept staying in the creek. If there was a bend in the creek, he'd follow it. If there was down logs, he'd, he'd go through it. And I think the main issue that I found, I ended up finding the arrow. The arrow was covered from, from tip to tail. Um, and I only found one bed, um, and then we just, I, I just lost blood. And so, um, ended up calling the search off the next day, uh, reluctantly. I did not want to quit. Uh, obviously when you, when you stick a deer, I haven't lost a deer and I think it was over seven years after I, I figured it out. So I did not want to give up the track, but looking back, I think the main issue was that I didn't get a pass through. I think, you know, I shot the buck. He was alert. Um, the arrow hit him. Um, and, you know, to a deer, it's going to feel like something. I mean, it's got to not feel good. And that deer just took off. I, I've never seen a deer run so fast. And every track that I found of that buck, he was running. And, you know, for how fast that whitetail can travel, it he just he took off and he, he traveled that distance in probably 10 minutes. So after that and calling that off, I was, I was pretty down in the dumps. I, I mean, I told Hunter, I'm like, I don't even think I should be hunting the rest of the year. Like I don't, I don't take it lightly. You know, it's one thing to miss a deer, flat out miss a deer, but I was pretty hard on myself for, you know, sticking a deer, not being able to recover him and, you know, not to have a, a full, a full ending to that story. So had a couple of days off to go back to work and, uh, ended up having some more vacation time. Uh, Hunter talked me into, you know, getting back out there, you know, trying to see if I could get, if he was still alive, if we could, you know, finish the job, get back on him. So I, I mainly was hunting that property, uh, the rest of the season, trying to see if I could catch back up with that deer. Um, the property slowed down, uh, drastically getting to a point where, you know, didn't really see anything. Uh, it just wasn't, it wasn't happening at that property. And Hunter mentioned in the beginning about how in the earlier on in the couple of years ago, uh, he found that, 
you know, jumping around different spots hurt him. And uh, I was really kind of doing the, the polar opposite at this point. Uh, you know, I was, you know, just staying on one property. Uh, if I didn't see a deer, it was, okay, tomorrow's the day. You know, I, I think I got that tunnel vision mainly because I had that encounter with that buck. And I still had that that small hope that he was still he was still doing the same thing or you know he'd be back right and so i just kept kept hunting there um and then finally i got to a point where i I told myself you know i just really need to get my confidence back up so uh we went to a different uh different piece and uh i actually shot a doe the same broadheads and i could not believe the blood trail on this thing it was insane so got my confidence back up. That was, uh, you know, the date, the 28th maybe. So just got done shooting a doe. Um, and then for that, that afternoon hunt, there was a morning hunt. The afternoon hunt, after we got done messing with the doe, uh, got her taken care of, um, made a game plan for the afternoon. I had one more afternoon hunt on the 28th. It was a Saturday, and I needed to be back the next morning to uh, go get a Christmas tree with my girlfriend, Heidi. Uh, I told her that we'd get a Christmas tree, you know. Yeah, and, priorities. Uh, that I'd be back the next day. So the afternoon of the 28th was supposed to be my last hunt of the year with a bow in my hand. And uh, Hunter and I decided to go try a piece of public just to see what was going on. We had some good action in there in the past. And uh, we got to the parking lot, and there was three different trucks there. Uh, we got there a little bit later because we were messing with my dental. And uh, decided, no, let's not go in there. Uh, for one, we're, we're too late anyway. Don't, don't know where those guys are. Don't want to screw up their hunt. Um, you know, and don't want to go in there and hunt stuff that they've already, they've already sat. So Hunter goes, hey, let's go. Maybe you want to try... Uh, the place that I scouted this summer. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? So he jumped on the maps and he started looking and he decided that we'd go in that general place, but we wanted to go to a different parking lot just due to different pressure that we were expecting from upland hunters and, and whatnot. So we ended up getting that parking lot. You know, I had no idea that we would even get on a deer. I was just happy to be out it was the last day it was kind of like hey we'll see what happens if it if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't so we had an idea of where we wanted to go uh walked up into this uh this spot it's a marshy bottom uh with some ridge tops above it and what we really liked about this place is it had some standing uh beans on the on the public land um so we decided instead of we we considered hunting over the beans just to see what would come out, but you know we decided that since it is public, there's probably been some pressure in here. We didn't think that a mature buck was going to go to that that food source until dark, and so we opted to you know try to hunt closer to where we were expecting a big buck to be bedding off one of these ridges. And while we were going in there. Uh, we ran into some really good sign and some really good trails, some scrapes, uh, and everything was just kind of lining up to be perfect. So we, instead of going the extra 100 yards in, we decided to set up on this, this spot on the marsh 
and try to see what we could see. We could still see into where we wanted to sit, but we were just not going to be able to shoot. So we were sitting there for a while and uh, set up on the ground. Uh, we both had our uh, leafy leafy suits on, um, just kind of hanging out. Didn't really expect anything to happen. Next thing you know, all of a sudden I hear Hunter goes, there's a giant buck. And exactly, I look over and it's exactly where we were thinking about setting up that night. It's this great big buck. Uh, got probably five to ten seconds look at him. And all I saw is that on some point on his right side, he had a split. He had a split on either his two or his three. And then he was gone. And I grunted at him. He didn't come in, uh, which I didn't really expect him to. But, hey, you never know. Um, And he ended up working away from us. Didn't know exactly where he went. Um, And that was the only deer we saw that night. So ended up... Hunter goes, we should really try to get back in here tomorrow. You think you could do a quick hunt? And I still, I was not supposed to be hunting on Sunday. So uh, that night, I actually told Heidi about it. And I'm like, what time do I need to be back tomorrow so we can get a Christmas tree? Maybe I could do a quick hunt. And she's like, yeah, you don't need to be back super early. Go go for it. See what happens. I said, you know, I didn't want to screw up getting a, a Christmas tree for her. So... Uh, I kept saying, yeah, it'll be a quick hunt. If we don't see him at first light, it'll probably be quick. So that next, that night, I sent Hunter a text, or I told Hunter, hey, you down to go kill that buck in the morning? He says, yeah, let's do it. So we went back to that piece of public, uh, sat, uh, got in there at a good light, uh, plenty early, uh, set up on the ground again, um, and we're setting up in hopes that that buck was going to travel that same trail on the way back in. And we were sitting there, it just broke daylight, and I thought I heard something walking up the ridge to my right. We were set up actually in like a fallen tree, Um, so I had plenty of back cover. I had some front cover uh, in the bottom marsh. I had some tall grasses in front of me as well, so I kind of matted those down in front of me just to create a shooting lane. And I heard something, but I, I never saw anything, so I didn't think anything of it. Five minutes later, there was some raccoons that were you know, milling around in front of us, and I was just watching them, uh, laughing at them, because just what they were doing. And uh, ended up, one of the coons ended up going up into a tree and uh, dropping into its den, and all of a sudden I heard the other one. So I looked over to the other one and I'm like, wow, that one looks like it's next to a deer. Like that looks like a, the, the rump of a deer. And I'm like, it is a deer. And then all of a sudden I look over at Hunter and Hunter was set up behind me about five yards or so. And all I see is Hunter's hand behind his head, just flapping in the wind, like pointing out that there's a deer here. And I was like, what in the heck? I'm like, yeah, I see it, but you can't say anything to him because he's far enough away that the deer is only 20 yards away. So I peer over to the side and I realize that it's that buck. It's, it's, it's the buck we saw the night before. I'm not sure how he got to that point. Um, I'm not sure how he got there, but he was 20 yards behind me, probably 15 yards behind Hunter. Hunter was a little bit, uh, behind me and to my left. Um, 
set up behind the big tree that had fallen, um, and he was closer to that buck. So that buck was standing there. I had all my back cover that I was set up to, you know, shoot down into this marsh. I had all this back cover between me and that buck. And when I first saw the buck, I'm like, there's absolutely no way that I can turn my body around in this marsh grass quietly. And there's no way I can get a shot to this stuff. And I'm like, and there's no way he's going to stand here much longer. You know, big, big, he was flickering his tail. Um, and he just looked like he was going to be moving. So 30 minutes go by and that buck is still standing in the same spot. And I'm like, what is going on? At that point, I had been able to like move around my head enough between me and the back cover to try to see if I could find the shooting lane there. But I still thought that he, he would probably walk back from where, you know, I thought he came from and I would have had a, a better shot. So I knew I needed to get turned around um, because I had watched him, you know, we had squirrels between us. He didn't seem to care about noise too much. Um, and he, you could tell he felt comfortable in that spot, but he just wasn't doing anything. He was just standing there. I've never seen a buck just stand there for over 30 minutes. And he wasn't looking at us as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was insane, and, and the wind was not set up right for where, where we expected that buck to come from, but he came in literally behind us, so the wind was perfect. The wind was blowing uh, from him to us. We were mm. downwind of him, so it was uh, it was insane how he had no idea that we were there. Um, so I ended up getting turned around. Uh, I would, It was a painstakingly slow turnaround. I was we were set up on the ground. I was set up just sitting on my knees and uh, I had marsh grass under me, which is extremely loud this time of year. And so what I would do is I would just make a movement. It would make noise and I would sit there for a minute, minute and a half. He wouldn't, I would watch him. I could see his eyes. He wouldn't get nervous. I'd do it again. It was just like a painstakingly slow turnaround. And I ended up working to a spot where I had probably softball size opening and I didn't know exactly where I didn't know exactly where my opening was in relation to front legs, but I could tell he was broadside. And then at one point he picked his front legs up, which gave away where it was at. And I knew that my opening or the, the shooting lane that I had, uh, was going to be a lethal shot. Um, so I checked for a moment at the end and said, man, that is one tight window to send an arrow through. But I think I can do it. And so I sat there and pondered it for a couple more minutes because at that point I had plenty of time. He'd been sitting there for over 50 minutes now, not moving, and just standing there. Um, but once I found in the uh, – once looking back at the footage, Hunter's got some awesome footage of this buck. This buck was literally just standing there resting his head on a, a on a tree. Like he was uh-huh. just a, a horizontal log. He just had it sitting there, just like he was just hanging out. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, maybe he's like sleeping standing up, kind of like a horse. What's that? Maybe like sleeping standing up, kind of like a horse, or just resting. No, he, I think he was just resting. His eyes were open the whole time. And at, at different points, he would shake. Um, and he, at some points he would, 
he would move his front legs just up and down, like just kind of picking him up. So it was like, I've never seen anything like it before. I, I, I believed he was just resting, just kind of just hanging out. But we're not exactly sure if he was just bedded there and at first light he stood up or what. Uh, but I was expecting him for the longest time just to bed down and he never did. So I ended up... Uh, That's kind of what it looked like to me. Um, and you're just like watching down in the marsh. Like, I don't know if he was like just watching the access or what, but we actually found more tree stands than we thought were in there on the way out. But he was just watching. Um, he was like responsive. There's that, that raccoon that came at his feet and he like was looking at that. But yeah, I mean, really weird deer behavior. But then I also think about it and it's like, I've never gotten to watch a mature buck in the woods for over an hour and tell him. So I don't know. Pretty crazy. I, I say so. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nuts. But very cool. Yeah. And yeah. So I mean, eventually I was able to just kind of maneuver myself to draw and, and get a shot on that buck um where i didn't realize that it did hit him uh it was just a touch further back than i wanted it to um the buck ran um and i ended up shooting two more arrows at him that got deflected and it was just a rodeo the buck the buck stayed at 20 yards from us after sending the other two arrows at him i had no more I had no more arrows in my quiver and it was a pretty low feeling as a bow hunter, having no arrows in your quiver, knowing, not knowing if you did hit the buck, then having Hunter review, review the footage, seeing that, you know, I did in fact hit the buck. There's blood pouring out of the buck, but I couldn't do anything. So long story short, I was able to go up and retrieve one of the arrows and help speed up the process, but it was an insane, and, and to have it be, um, he didn't score on paper as big, he didn't score the 157 that I, like I got last year. He scored 154, but he had two broken points. One of them would have been his uh, G3, it's this great big uh, six-inch mass measurement on him. Uh, he broke it off at the base, so it was Probably my 160 buck is what I'm kind of going with. Oh, yeah, probably. And an insane story to top it off on the ground. Like, you know, at, at the moment, I didn't, I wasn't as jacked up because of the, you know, the, the long, drawn-out process of getting this animal harvested. But, you know, the days after it, it's just like replaying it in my head has been, this is insane. I, I can't believe the, it, it was a hunt that wasn't supposed to happen. Um, I wasn't supposed to be out in the field that day. I, I didn't think I was going to get on anything the night before, and then the next day, here we are. We're, we're tagged out. So I've got two questions for you. The first question, do you think that that buck didn't leave because he felt so comfortable in that area or that he was in shock after the shot? I think he he stuck around. Um for two reasons. One, he was comfortable there. Uh, like you were saying, uh, he stood there for over 50 minutes before I even took a shot at him. And two, I think he was, he was slightly confused. Um, and after the first shot, you could tell he was hurting. Um, 
he was hunched up and you could tell he wasn't feeling good. So he kind of just stuck around. He had no idea we were there because we had the right wind. And both Hunter and I, I mean, after we shoot, we're not going to celebrate, stay quiet, don't do anything until the buck, you either see him go down or they go out of sight. And usually even when they go out of sight, we stay as quiet as possible um, to make sure you don't spook him. So I think he stuck around because he, he still had no idea what happened. And I think the only reason yeah. why he was there is because he, I, I still to this day think he, uh, we ended up weighing this buck field dressed and he was only 140 pounds. Uh, whereas, you know, bucks that Hunter shot earlier in the season, one of them was over 200. One of them was, uh, dad's was 190 and then Hunter's early muzzleloader buck was like 170 and then I shot that doe and she was 118 so I just think this buck was so worn down from the rut that he was almost just tired and delusional that yeah. he was just comfortable where he was at and he didn't know what to do I think he was just too tired to be honest I yeah, that's a pretty good theory. I also think he would have kept going away uh, after the first shot, but, I mean, he had stood in that spot for so long, and then the air went through him so fast. He, like, he took off running right after the first shot, but then, like, you could tell he was hurting, and he slowed down to, like, a walk going up the hill. Charlie will stop him again, and that's when he shot the second time. And then I think that's what confused everything, because then after that, that shot deflected, on brush but then he was like he probably didn't know what to do so he like went back to the spot that he had been standing at for an hour hmm. so my second question is trevor did you get a christmas tree that day <laughs> no we did not oh but man we did get it today though so redemption was four days late yeah. uh but we still got it done <laughs> To top it off, we got a big buck under the tree. So there you uh, go. Yeah, she was good with everything. It, it was all fun. So good. You still got a, quite a few days till Christmas. So I think it all worked out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, guys, that was a really awesome story, and uh, I can't wait to see it. I know you guys just posted uh, the video on YouTube. Is that correct? Uh, I posted one from public land uh, uh earlier in november uh, uh okay. both of the hunts the one on the g2 buck that i wasn't able to recover and then a couple other ones before this kill video there'll be a couple it'll be probably a couple weeks okay but uh yeah we'll get we're getting to them as fast as we can any uh any takeaways from from the hunt that you had uh, last couple hunts yeah i think you know pondering the split g2 buck and then you know thinking about this hunt here i kind of had two different takeaways and i'll start with the the split g2 buck and you know kind of going together i didn't for the for the buck that i ended up killing i ended up panicking on the second and third shots you know i've never had the opportunity on to you know to try to take a, a follow-up shot on a whitetail. I've never gotten that opportunity. And so when I was given that opportunity with the buck standing there again, I didn't really look for that shooting lane as hard as I did on the first one. It was kind of like a, he's still standing there. 
empty your quiver at him. And, you know, looking back, that is just not the best idea um, because I got plenty of other plenty of other opportunities of clearer shots after I had unloaded my quiver on him. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a stupid feeling like, man, you're just an idiot feeling when you're put in that situation. So I think the, the biggest takeaway is always remain calm. Don't panic. Uh, the second takeaway is always make sure your quiver is 100% full of arrows. No matter what you think the hunt's going to be, there's a chance that a buck is going to stand around and let you shoot arrows at him. And three, uh, I think I just came up with this one, is have an arrow set up and a broadhead set up that gets you a pass through. And this one really brings me to the, the split G2 buck. And the reason for that is, is, you know, I've always fixed the mechanical broadheads. I've always gotten pass-throughs. I was shooting those mechanical broadheads expecting to get a pass-through. And at that distance, at that 40-yard distance, I, I was not able to. I'm not sure if I got deflected because I ended up shooting a doe uh, a few weeks later. And I got a pass-through with that same broadhead setup at 30. So I'm not sure what happened, uh, but I didn't get a pass-through. And that buck took off, um, and he just kept running, and he didn't stop. Whereas I shot that doe uh, a few weeks later, and then I ended up shooting this buck. The buck, I got a pass through. The second buck, I got a pass through. The buck ran 20 yards and stopped. So I think I think you've got to make sure that you've got a, a broadhead set up that's going to get you a pass through. Just, be, just due to the fact is the deer are going to know that the arrow's in, in them still. And I was kind of going back and forth on if it was a good thing or a bad thing when I stuck the, the G2 buck. And they both have split G2s, but I'm referring to the one on November 17th. Um, so I just think the air, having an arrow set up that gets you a complete pass-through is just ideal because the deer's not going to know that the arrow's in him, and he's not going to really know what happened. So that's kind of the main things for that. Well, that's so. all great advice. And... Uh... You know, the fact that you had never been in that position before, um, you know, you learned from it. And uh, other guys and gals out there that haven't been in that position, hopefully they can learn through your experience, you know. So that's all great stuff. And uh, the best thing is, is that you were able to reflect on it and you're going to do something differently in the future. But all in all, you know, um, it is what it is, and you ended up finishing the deer off, and it didn't have to suffer, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and that's the main goal of bow hunting, so. Absolutely. I wanted to point out that um, both of these shots at these backs, Trevor hit, like, really close to where he was aiming. So it's not even an archery thing. Um, like Trevor said, it's really just like slowing things down and taking the time. And a lot of that just comes from experience. But I also wanted to say that uh, I know Trevor's been beating himself up a lot over these shots. But um, the first one, we still aren't, aren't really sure how we didn't recover that deer, other than the fact that the blood trail dried up. And um, I guess it just didn't kill him fast enough before he was able to clot up and have an arrow and definitely made things worse. 
And then the second one, I wanted to say that that first shot, it wasn't like a terrible shot. It was probably one long river. Um, it was just a little bit low from being double long. So I just wanted to point that out because I'm not sure he's been beating himself up on it. But. Yep, we, we've all either been there or we're going to be there. So, you know, chin up, Trevor. Yeah. You've had a great season, and uh, Bronk Outdoors has had a great season so far, and I'm enjoying the videos this year, and these stories, uh, kind of behind-the-scenes stories, are, are really cool, and I'm looking forward to uh, what's what's next. So what's your guys' focus for the rest of the season? Do you guys even have any tags left? I mean, how's it going there? So, Hunter, you, you filled your tags, right? What are you going to do the rest of the year? <laughs> I guess I'll uh, go take a vacation, maybe sit on the beach, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm just going to be scouting, um, doing a lot of filming. That's what I've been doing. Um, I don't know, I've got a screw loose, so anytime I can get out and scout or hunt, I take the opportunity. So just going to be trying to help Dad and Trevor fill their tags, but uh, they have... Yeah. Yeah. Any like excuse, left, so any excuse to get away from school, right? Yeah. So I've got. So before I filled my my buck tag with my bow, I was contemplating. I was always going to do late muzzleloader season in Iowa here, which usually runs, or how Iowa season runs. Uh, first shotgun actually runs this Saturday, uh, the first weekend in December uh, until I think like the next Wednesday. And then there's a two-day break, and then second season starts up the following Saturday. Um, that runs like a two-week period. And then after that, the late, the the bow hunting split and late muzzleloader start back up again. And that runs usually uh, around like the 21st of December through the end of the season, uh, which usually is around January 10th here in Iowa. And so uh, I'll be doing the late muzzleloader. Uh, Dad's got a landowner tag uh, for shotgun season and uh, how it works in Iowa. You can get one landowner tag. So he could technically kill three bucks this season. So, you know, one on the farm, and then he's got a, another statewide tag that you can use for late muzzleloader season as well. Um, and, you know, the main tactic for the rest of the year uh, is really going to revolve heavily around food and weather um and pressure you know like we were talking about earlier once once the gun seasons come in here in iowa um and all over the midwest you know it's going to change deer movements and patterns um you know we were we've been watching trail cameras uh hunter's been out driving around just kind of getting a feel on what deer were doing on public for feed um what he could see from the road uh, just trying to get a general idea of what the deer were doing before gun seasons. And then after this weekend, it's all going to get turned upside down on its head. So um, if you can find, uh, really going to try to target those food sources that, you know, deer can get to high destination or destination food sources that have, you know, high food capacity, you know, standing beans, corn, uh, and also greens. I think a lot of times people still over overlook greens uh, during this time frame. Um, but I've kind of had a theory and a thought uh, that I've 
been watching is I feel like right now uh, in in and into December, uh, the greens are sometimes extremely hot on sunny, warmer days. Right now we're getting a lot of temperatures uh, during midday that are usually around 40, 50 degrees during the day. And in the morning, there's a pretty hard frost. And what that frost in my mind is doing it, doing is it's putting water onto these green food sources. And it's not that super cold time frame yet where the deer are like, we need to eat for survival. But a lot of these deer are, you know, trying to recoup from the rut. And so during this weird time frame between, you know, the rut and then the legendary second rut, which we can get into in a little, in a couple minutes here, there's this time frame where you're hitting food hard. If you've got a big, if you've got temperature swings where temperatures that are extremely low, make sure you're on, you know, the best food source that you could possibly be on, whether it's green food sources, uh, whether it's, you know, standing corn, standing beans, um, don't target anything that's like dist in at this time frame. Cause I found once that those fields are dist in, um, you know, a lot of the leftover, uh, grain that is left from the, the combine is not really easy to find for the deer. Um, and especially if it snows, uh, they're not going to find it as well, but you also have those natural food sources. Um, if you're hunting public land, uh, like locust pods. Uh, we've had a lot of good success finding deer in those areas, and acorns. Um, but also pay attention to what's around those public land areas. Um, if there is a standing food source on a neighboring property of that public land, you bet that there's going to be deer bedded on that public land or using that public land. So you can still cut those feed patterns off on the public land so you know at this time time of the year make sure you're keeping tabs on what's going on with pressure uh keep tabs on where the food's at what the deer are doing but do your best on public it doesn't really matter as much because you can't really control the pressure but if you got a private piece of ground uh right now and you've got food do your best to not bump those deer off those properties because, you know, it's one thing to bump a deer early in the season and you've got, you know, usually there's less hunters out in the field. There's a chance they don't get shot. Um, but you also have a lot more food available for that deer. So it's, it puts less stress on that deer if you bump them off the food source. Whereas if you bump a deer, um, say, January 1st, uh, off, off his only good food source and he doesn't feel safe coming back, that deer is going to suffer throughout the winter because, you know, either either he's going to stick around and only feed at night and you're going to miss your shot or he's going to completely move away and uh, it might be detrimental to, you know, hunting him next year. That's all good insight. Um, Hunter, do you have anything to add? I wanted to add uh, one strategy, thinking back on some late season stuff, especially on public, is uh, doing more scouting than hunting. And I'm really not good at doing this because that requires me to take a hunt off. But now that I'm tagged out, I can obviously dedicate a lot more time to scouting and hopefully that'll help out 
uh, dad and Trevor. But basically, you have to find a deer because there's so much sign in the woods that it's tough to differentiate fresh sign versus old sign. Obviously, snow is really going to help. But um, basically, just driving around and finding the deer, finding the best food sources. A lot of times you can find fields that didn't get picked because it feels too wet or for various reasons like that. Um, but really just covering a lot of ground, um, using the glass and uh, doing a lot of walking around. Like sometimes you can find areas that just look tore up and it is fresh or, or just bump in the deer. And a lot of times like in the shotgun seasons here in Iowa, a lot of the deer are holed up in the one area so that you can go in and you do actually spook something. Um, it might be a good idea to just go right back. Um, that happened to me in 2018. I, that was uh, the biggest buck I killed. But like I said, I had bumped, I bounced around a lot that season. And then uh, basically early muzzleloader season started back up and I went to this brand new spot again. And I, I bumped a good buck. I didn't really see what it was. But basically, I had uh, driven around and realized that this road had been too muddy to drive down for probably all of the shotgun season. So this place hadn't been getting much pressure. Uh, I'm sure there had been some people in it. But basically, the combination of that road being unaccessible and then um, also the place I was hunting was pretty hard to get back into. I knew that there was going to be deer holed up in there. I went in, spooked one, just real light. Like I saw him stop. Like there's a different, there's some different ways you can spook deer and read them. But I mean, if they stop 20, 30 yards after you spook them, you know, they're going to be right back in there more than likely. So anyway, that's when I went back in and, uh, that, actually killed my biggest buck at the time. And that was another pretty crazy hunt. I don't think we have time to cover it tonight. But, <laughs> yeah, just a lot of scouting and uh, trying to find the food sources, like Trevor said. Um, I know it's tough to take time off from hunting to scout, but if you can cover ground, it's going to help you out more than likely. They are a slave to their stomach, and uh, pressure this time of year is... Definitely the utmost importance. Um, Trevor, you want anything? You want to add to that, or did you want to talk a little bit about that secondary rut you had mentioned? Yeah, I mean, just watch the weather. If you got a big snowstorm coming in, you know, if you can get to those best food sources as fast as possible, as early as possible, um, even if it is just starting to snow. Uh, get out in the stand like you said they are slaves the slaves to their stomach so they're going to be there uh just keep watching it if it if the weather looks nasty and it's something that you don't want to go sit out in you rather sit at home next to the fireplace you should probably try to be out at least scouting like hunter said but uh good good fronts that are moving around are going to push deer um and and possibly get you your late season buck and then you know just touching quick on the on that secondary rut, um, you know, it's usually around Christmas time. Hunter's uh, buck that he was just talking about a couple years ago on his muzzleloader, muzzleloader uh, that was uh, a great example of a secondary rut. And 
you know, looking at late seasons and, and, you know, how a secondary rut can come about, there's really kind of two, uh, two ways in my mind that it can come about. And that is one, you're in an area that has way too many does and not as many bucks to be able to breed those does. If a doe doesn't get bred during the first cycle of, of heat in November, there's going to be that time frame where they you know, have to cycle back through. And usually it lands sometime in December. Uh, we've seen, you know, rutting action uh, in quotes there, uh, even up to early December. Uh, so it just kind of depends on what's going on. So if you're in an area that has a lot of does and or just not very many bucks, those bucks aren't breeding all those does, and you're going to get a lot of different second cycle does that are coming into heat. But there's a caveat to that as well, is if you're in an area that has a lot of food and it's got a lot of standing food sources, an extremely healthy deer herd, there are fawns or doe fawns that will meet that, you know, I think it's around 68 pounds or so, Hunter, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually when they I hit, no idea. I think it's around that weight, they can, they can bear a fawn. So at that point they would go into their first heat cycle and not even be a year old. So then you get that Hunter and I claimed, we coined it the legendary uh, fawn rut. Um, and so uh, at those times, you know, mature bucks, I found it takes it takes them a little bit more to get spun up sometimes about the rut, but you know once <laughs> once they they see the rut is happening again, they don't want to let it go. So you know if you get any sort of different uh, rutting activity or you notice any sort of rutting activity, uh, narrow in on that property because just because you know maybe a, a three year old is doing it or a two year old is doing it. And you, it, you, you're questioning if that doe or that doe fawn is in heat, stick in that area because if she really is, you're going to have a whole nother animal of a rut. Not just what you experienced in November, you're going to have dang near almost all the bucks in the county at your uh, at your lap. So, Yeah, I've, I'm not exactly sure what weight they start to come into asterisk what weight the fawns get to or anything like that but i think that's what i've seen more times than just those that haven't been bred um and a lot of people don't believe in the second rut or haven't experienced it um honestly i do believe it's a lot of a luck thing and just spending time in the woods but i've actually seen it to varying degrees uh, i think probably three out of the last four seasons I've gotten into, I mean, I'm not talking about just some little box bumping some does around. I'm talking like actual rutting activity and it's nowhere near the intensity of the first rut, but you can get into it. And just the final thing I'll add is something I don't hear very often is I think the best way to ensure that is just hunting in an area with the maximum amount of deer. So like not targeting individual deer but just like in the case of these shotguns here in iowa like i said a lot of deer just hold up in one spot so if you can get to those areas where you're just seeing 20 does a night that's obviously gonna increase your chances of finding something like that so not something i'm 
super focused on, but hunt hard and try to hunt where a lot of deer are, and a lot of times they'll stumble into it. That's all good stuff, guys, and uh, I really appreciate it. Um, there's there's a lot of good information to, to take in through through your guys' stories and uh, just from the last few minutes talking about this late season. I know it's got me pumped to go back out. I know that uh, one one other important thing that I want to touch on um, before we get off here is is burnout. A lot of the times, even myself, you know, this time of year, people can start to get burnt out. You know, I'd recommend, if you can, try to maybe hunt in a warm blind. Um, if you can't, try to find a buddy that's willing to go out there with you and suffer a little bit. Uh, a couple of those things, you know, and uh, to keep to keep things going, you know what I mean. And yeah. if if you don't feel like hunting that day, don't hunt that day. You know, don't don't burn yourself out. I mean, don't miss out on good action. But uh, you don't have to hunt every single day to to get a deer. Yeah, and I think I mean that point. If you need to take a day off and scout, I mean that's it's totally okay. I mean, I had. I kind of had that burnout in November before I, I filled my tag. So I know exactly what you mean. So like you're saying, if you can hunt with a buddy, you can bring uh, uh, like a warm thermos to keep you warm. Um, or, you know, simply I saw uh, a guy using mountain house meals uh, midday in the stand. And I'm like, that was the smartest thing I've ever seen. If you could have, if you're hunting hard, or if you want some sort of a, a warm meal, or figure out a way to bring a stove and, and uh, cook yourself up a little back backcountry stove and cook up a, a mountain house meal, and there you go. You can stay warm. So just the little things to, to try to keep you in the stand, even when you don't feel like being there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So uh, <clears throat> I uh, think we need to probably wrap it up. It's It's been a good one, that's for sure. How can uh, how can the audience get a hold of you guys, find your content? So just check out uh, Brunk Outdoors on YouTube, uh, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, and you guys can uh, follow along. Uh, we did have a podcast at one point. We just haven't done anything with it, so maybe one day we'll, we'll watch that up again. But wow. we really appreciate you having us on here. we got to definitely do it again, and we definitely need to meet up. i got to hear about your your Wyoming uh, elk hunt as well, so you can't leave us hanging there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, and, and, and as well as you guys, you know, uh, you guys do some elk hunting as well, so it'd be good to get together and in uh, better times. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and, uh, you know, I'll be looking out for that next video, Trevor. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys, that's going to conclude today's episode. Uh, make sure you guys check out Brunk Outdoors on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. They have some uh, really good content. Not only do they have hunting videos on there, but they also have um, how-tos and tips um, for all kinds of things. So make sure to check those guys out. They are a wealth of knowledge, and they're some good dudes. So... Uh, appreciate you guys listening, and we'll uh, see you on the next one.